how are we friending? Is it based on what is trending, expectations overwhelming reality, concerned on who's adding me? But isn't that what friends are for? Just show me the good, forget the bad and the ugly. Show me what you're doing, don't say that you're lonely. Keep up with the trends or risk losing friends. Isn't that what friends are for? Keep me on my toes, highlighting wins, hiding my woes. I'm struggling, I'm dying. But nobody knows. Isn't that what friends are for? Acceptance, belonging, <laughs> just like me. Relationship, actually talking. Isn't that what friends are for? Going past the strife, going past the like, but going through the strife, not just scrolling through life, but going through life. Isn't that what friends are for? To build up one another, to lift up a sister or brother, to open up your heart, your hand, your house. Isn't that what friends are for? Pastor John Carlos wrote that uh, for our series that we're in, The Space Between, and thankful for an amazing team that's so talented as we've been thinking and praying for the series. Friendship is going to be the subject of today, but uh, before we get into that, I want to just think about Pastor John Carlos and his family and his friends and uh, He's Puerto Rican. I got any Puerto Ricans in the house? Anybody here from Puerto Rico? His family, we have a number of family members that, uh, friends from our church that live in and have family in Puerto Rico, in Mexico City, the earthquakes, the hurricanes in Puerto Rico, and then the Dominican in the last couple weeks have devastated whole millions of people. And uh, I actually, I wore my Mexico jersey today because I wanted to reflect uh, and stand with my brothers and my sisters as you're thinking about your family and to understand that there's a lot going on. And we've been hearing word back, and we'll try to get word out in this next week about how we can help as a church. But the first thing we can do is we can pray. Can I get an amen? In fact, why don't you stand with me before we get into the word today. Um, and all of those that are other campuses and those that are online, and you can stand up if you want, wherever you are as well. But uh, I want to pray for our sisters and brothers that uh, we don't see, people that are connected to family members and that God would do a miracle. And Put a hand on the shoulder of the person next to you. We're in this thing together. Father, we call out to you. And we just ask God that you would be with so many that are hurting and devastated and supplies have not reached some of the, those, oh God, that are hungry and they need water and they need food and they need help to rebuild their homes and the devastation in Mexico City of the earthquake and the families and the people that have lost loved ones and then in the hurricane aftermath. Lord, we pray, God, that you would not forget those that are alone and hurting right now and are crying. And we pray, God, together as one family, one church, we pray, God, that you would come and that you would do a miracle on their behalf. We pray, God, that you'd move systems of government and supply chains to actually get the supplies there and remove the obstacles and 
Lord, with all of the political uproar and the smoke screening going on of who's doing what, we simply don't care. We just want you to reach them. And so we pray, God, that you would do it. You would move the pieces so that lives can be transformed and, and helped and nurtured and uh, ministered to, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. You can go ahead and sit back down. Uh, we're in week number three of our Connect Group series, The Space Between. And uh, I've been uh, asking you each week, go ahead and post your your uh, photos of your connect group and do the hashtag, the space between. And so we've been receiving pictures in from groups all over the city. And there's uh, all kinds of ages, all kinds of different types of groups that are getting together. Last week, uh, Jody and my connect group, we got together at Starbucks. Come on, somebody. That's like a, that's a Holy Ghost moment. Relationships in the spirit, the Holy Spirit, and Java. Come on, somebody. It was a powerful moment. And then uh, some people have just met in homes and apartments and places around the city. And I just love seeing the people get together and the connections that are taking place. And really, that's where true faith is found. It's not just in theater religion where you hear a message from a platform and walk away. But when you open your mouth, you get to share with other people. And that's where the kingdom of God happens. And that's where life change truly happens in the context of relationship. Last week... Pastor Dwight did a great job, didn't he, talking about rest and, uh, and the need for the rhythm of rest in our life so that we can get a hold of what Jesus promised in John chapter 10 when he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have a rich and a satisfying life. And if we want to get what Jesus offers, we've got to adjust our pace, our pattern, so it's a sustainable pace so that we can receive all that God has for us. Today's subject actually plays into that because we have to make room for friendship, God's type of friendships in our life, in order for us to receive all that Jesus has for us. And I want you to turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, Jesus is now with his disciples. And if you recall, he went one by one and he picked them out. And some of them he went up to Peter, for example, who was out uh, as a fisherman, and he said, come and follow me. And Peter left his nets and followed him, and each of the disciples did. And they joined his band, if you will. And, uh, and then Jesus went on tour. Uh, how, are you, how many of you like to be on the tour group for Jesus, right? That, they were on tour. They got to ride on the bus. They got to hang out with them, and they got to spend time with Jesus. And, uh, but there's work involved in that. They had uh, healing revival meetings. They had uh, special one-on-one -on -one appointments with leaders in the middle of the night. And uh, they, all this stuff happened as they were around Jesus. But Jesus set it up in a really unique way. He put them together in a group, and he creates a, an environment that's a model for us. And you'll see it in John 15. This is like his last words, a series of last words that Jesus gives before he eventually goes to the cross he says in verse 15, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my what? You are my what? Friends. And since I have told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Verse 17, this is my command, love 
each other. I want you to notice that Jesus' language is that he chose his friends. I think that there's a responsibility that we have to choose our friends, to pursue our friends, to actually go after the ones that we need in our life. Jesus chose his friends. But not only that, but he created an environment where his friend group, his connect group that he had that was on, on, uh, on tour with him, he created a diverse group. And so on his group, he had opposites. He had a blue-collar fisherman. He had a tax collector that was very wealthy and in charge and moved amongst the aristocrats. He, was, he had people that were conservatives and liberals. Hello, on one team. That was his friendship group. You're like, that's impossible. You need to have everybody think the same way you think in order to be your friend. That's a lie in our culture going on right now. Hello. In fact, our country is in trouble because it's almost as if everybody has to think exactly the way you think in order for you to have a friendship with them. And I don't think that's the model that Jesus showed us. Jesus showed us that he would put opposites together. He had somebody that wanted to overthrow the government on his team. He had a traitor on his team, Judas. And he put them all on his team. Why? Jesus was not afraid of differences of diversity. He was not afraid of it. It was the way he thought. Not only that, he had women that were on his team that went everywhere he went, which was very contrary to the, to the uh, social group dynamics of his day. Jesus had women that, you know, he had conversations you'll see with Mary and Martha having dinner in their house and the relationships that he had. Jesus kind of broke all the rules for what you can have in your friend group. In the church in America today, I believe that all of the divisiveness that's happening around us, that the answer to the divisiveness is not coming up with a better argument to tell some other group why they're wrong. The answer to the divisiveness is to build a friendship group in your own circle where you have friends that you can listen to and learn from and they give you their perspective and you respect one another and you love one another and you grow together. You can be the example to the change that needs to happen out there. I'm about to go down a whole other path that I didn't even plan on preaching right there. They ate together, they hung out between events, they went on missions trips, if you will, and they debriefed life together. But here's what you need to know. It wasn't all ministry. They did life. They hung out. They had campfire conversations. And Jesus allowed them to fight. <laughs> they had arguments without abandoning the, the team. And Jesus says to them, I'm going away, and I want you to know you've become my friends. And now his last thing that he says to them in verse 17, he says, this is my command, love each other. So it's almost as if Jesus was saying, now my command is to you, my friends, that you go and make friends. That you go live the way I showed you how to live. That you live in a community of people where you build friendships, that you're not threatened by differences, but that you can lean into the people that are around you that you can be replenished by the people around you and grow together. Jesus includes in his friendship a necessary, friendship as a necessary ingredient for us to discover the rich and satisfying life we've been talking about. 
So why is friendship such a big deal to Jesus? God's delivery system of hope, support, discipleship, and fun is through friends. You know how it's going to get to you? It's not going to get to you just because I'm preaching it to you. You know how it's going to get to you? His life, his support, his accountability, his comfort in the time of difficulty. It's not going to be just because you attend a church and hear a good message, although it's a good thing to do to come to church and hear a good message. But it's going to be when you're with people who are supporting you, cheering you on, are with you on the good days and on the bad days, and they don't abandon you. They don't cut and run. That's where you find the strength that Jesus wants to bring to your life. That's what he is saying to his disciples. You need each other. Go and make some friends. Friendships are important. In my life, I can look back and I can see how God used friends in my life to keep me stable, to help me grow, to move to the next level. All the way back when I was in middle school. You know, middle school is a really awkward season of life. You got more hormones going through your body than at any time of your life. Some of you that are in that midlife time, I'm telling you, it's worse than middle school. Middle schoolers got things popping out on their face, and they're mean to each other. Hello. They are mean, and then they, tell, they say stuff. They make fun of each other. And uh, I remember when I was in sixth grade band, I played the alto saxophone, and there was this guy behind me that played the trombone. And... Uh, he became my friend. His name is Mark Kenny. Mark became my friend. He was very different than me. I played football. He ended up singing in the choir. We were opposites in some ways. But we, we were bonded. We became buddies. I'd go hang out at his house. And, you know, one thing kind of led to another. And we became closer and closer friends to the extent that one day he married my wife's identical twin. Hello. <laughs> That's a true story. He's still my friend. Now we're related. But I can tell you there were some awkward times when people made fun of me and I didn't know what to do with my life. And Mark was a steady friend, so I knew I had somebody to count on. Kids that go through middle school and into high school that don't have a steady friend live in a place where they're vulnerable and, and uh, they, they look for love in the wrong places sometimes and, and they do stupid things. And listen, let's not get mad at kids for doing stupid things if they don't have a loving setting to go back to, a normal setting to rely upon. They need that and the church should represent that. That's why we invest in kids ministry and youth ministry at our church so much is I'm a believer. If we can get the next generation before they're corrupted, before they become adults, and we can provide godly relationships for them, they stand a chance later on in life. That's a big deal. Amen. But I remember in high school I had, I had friends that were from different vantage points. I had a kid on the football team. His name was Ken Westra, and Ken... He went to another church, and, and Ken was a, a good friend, and we would hang out at different times. We didn't hang out all the time, but he was a good friend, and to this day, we, he still messages me once in a while on Facebook, and we say hi, and he lives in Indiana, and I live here, and man, Ken was a great friend. I had a friend named Tom, Thomas Lars, who was in a connect group I had when I was in high school, and Thomas was very different than me. He always was spiritual. He always wanted to pray. And I remember we were like bored on a Saturday night and uh, we were like, what should we do? Should we go to a movie? What should we do? And there was a group of friends of ours and, and Thomas was in the group. He's like, let's have a prayer meeting. And I'm like, what? But I'm telling you, because Thomas was in my life, one day I said, okay, let's have a prayer meeting. I wanted to see what would happen. 
And so he's like, let's go to a local school. We're going to do a Jericho march around the school. We're going to pray for the school, for God to move in the school. And so we did it, and then it turned into a every Saturday night thing, and we started praying and asking God for revival. And sure enough, God answered that generation's prayers, and revival hit our youth group, and hundreds of kids came to the Lord because Thomas led us in prayer. I appreciate people like that, you know, even though he's a little weird. Nowadays, Thomas lives in Florida, and he heads up a national uh, abolitionist movement for those caught into the sex trafficking industry. He's making a major difference in the world out there. But as I moved along, you know, I had those friendships, and I gained other friendships. And when I went into my career and had people that were on staff with me, people like Steve Fenton, who uh, I could go talk to when I was bothered. I was an assistant youth pastor, and I was trying to figure out life, and we were having kids, and I was trying to understand my wife, and I could vent with him, and he could kind of be calm in my storm. Steve's still a great friend of mine. He's a pastor of a church in Blaine. Hereby, he's a presbyter in the assemblies of God. He's a great guy. Those friendships matter in my life because they brought stability to me. Um, and I was able to help them along the way too, but friendships matter. And if we're going to find the kind of friendships that Jesus wants us to have, we're going to have to acknowledge that there are some obstacles. So I want to give you six obstacles to finding Jesus type of relationships, okay? And uh, by the way, I'll balance those out with six other things that we can do that aren't obstacles, steps towards it. So don't, don't get tired out and worried that this is going to go till 3 o'clock. There is a football game this afternoon. I will want to eat lunch just like you want to eat lunch. First obstacle to Jesus' type of friendships is toxic friendships. Toxic friendships. We have to acknowledge that in our life there are people that come into our life that become toxic. I've said for years that friends are like elevators. They can take you up or take you down. If you want to discover the type of relationship that helps you, sometimes you're gonna have to get rid of toxic relationships, things that snuff the light out, life out of you, that keep you from the place that you need to be. Proverbs 22, 24 says, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people, or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Mm. You'll learn to be like them. How many know the longer you hang with those people who are toxic, the more you become toxic? And when you're toxic, you're not going to get other good kind of relationships in your life because you're toxic. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good character. There's no way around it. People rub off on us. And listen to me, I'm, I don't even, this is, I'm not going to preach a whole sermon on this. I'm just going to say it straight and true. If you've got toxic relationships in your life, you need to cut them off. Deal with it. Just go, I don't know, one of these days I'm going to change out. I'm going to let that go away. Well, what, are you going to live with the cancer on your arm or are you going to get it cut out? Deal with it. You know, if you, the longer you keep it with you, the longer the pain is. And the further distance you are from the life that Jesus offers you. Enough said. Second obstacle, substitutes for real relationships. There's a difference between a friend and a like. <laughs> Sometimes we substitute virtual relationship as if it was real. Social media, that false reality of, of friends, 
And then we live and die on it. And listen, by the way, if you live and die on how many likes you get for the photo that you put up on Instagram, you're in trouble. If that's where your balance is coming from in life and you're like, nobody liked it. What's wrong with me? Your first thing that you got to know is that Jesus is your friend. You are safe and secure in him. And if you're counting on whether or not somebody happens to look at your photo and give you a like and they don't, they're not your friend because they put like on there. Or push, are you hearing what I'm saying? It's a substitute. And I think on top of that today, we actually come up with other substitutes. We escape into virtual worlds of escape. We can get ourselves so busy in our job or we can be so involved in, in a, a online gaming or some other kind of thing where we try to escape from relationships because of the anxiety, the social anxiety that comes in place. But let me tell you that it's a substitute for the, the real thing that Jesus wants to offer us. The third obstacle is this, and it's getting really quiet in here right now. The third is unrealistic expectations. I think that of all the things that I observe, sometimes we expect more from the people in our life than we should, or we expect more from ourselves than we should. And all or nothing type relationships put too much pressure on early stages of the relationship. If we put so much expectation that we've got to be besties right out of the gate, I'm like, come on, man, pump the brakes, let the relationship develop. Well, I think we put our expectations so high in the church world. We want everybody to be perfect. But if I asked for a show of hands, who was perfect in the room right now, nobody would raise their hand. And the one that would is a liar. So then you know where you go, right? So nobody's perfect, all right? But when we want other people to give and meet our needs and we set such high expectations, we set ourselves up to not having a good spiritual long-term relationship. They're just too high of expectations. I better keep going. I just got too many things running through my mind right now. Number four. Obstacle to a good spiritual relationship is busyness in our work or our family. That's, I mean, we get so busy, we just don't even have time for it. That's why Pastor Dwight talked about a rhythm of rest. There has to be places where we get replenished and we can replenish others. We can be refreshed. And if we don't plan that in, we're in trouble. If you find yourself in all your free time talking about work, you're in trouble. It's going to starve out your relationships. On top of that, I've noticed a trend when it comes to people that move from one area to another, maybe they're from out of state or another part of, of town and they move into an area, they're more hungry for friendship, so they give time to that relationship. But sometimes our families kind of get in the way. When you have been in the same place you've always been and you live around family, sometimes family over-dominates the friendships you should be having. Now, I'm not saying cut out the family, but I am saying the family better not cut out good friendships. And if you're feeling people cast guilt on you because you're trying to develop good spiritual friendships, talk to the hand. Don't let guilt drive you away from the things that Jesus wants you to do. Ha! I want to preach now. I've watched people move in to our area, they come to our church and they're trying to build friendships with some of us. 
And when it comes time to what are we going to do for lunch and what are we going to do for connect groups and what are we going to do for holiday times, all of us that are around and we have family nearby, all of our schedules are already full. And maybe we need to make some room on our schedule for the people that God brings into our life too. Pull the toes in today. Fifth obstacle is hurt and bitterness. If you have a broken trust, it can ruin your brain. It can run around inside your brain and bitterness can settle in and it becomes toxic and people can sense it. Holding on to bitterness will affect every relationship that we have. It prevents us from trusting and it makes us angry. I'm just going to say this. The Bible talks about it over and over again. I can't do a whole message on it, but I'll just say it. If you got bitterness and you've been hurt, man, I'm just, I feel bad. I do feel bad for you. But you're not going to get better, and you're not going to get the friends you need that will help you become better if you don't deal with the bitterness that's in your heart. And you can open up your heart before God, and you can say, God, help me. Or you can, as the statement says that some people quote, you can take bitterness as a pill and wait for the other person to die. It's time to cut that thing out of your life. Let it go. Let them go. And say, God, help me. And you're like, I don't know how to forgive. Well, it starts with humility and saying before God, God, I want to forgive this person, but I have anger in my heart. And when you open up your heart in such a way that God has an access to you, he has a way of changing bitterness and turning it into forgiveness. You hide it in your heart, all of a sudden you become a bitter person that nobody wants to be around. You wonder why you can't build relationships just because you haven't dealt with that bitterness that's in your heart. <laughs> I got one amen. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> this is why the Bible talks about forgiveness so much. Proverbs 16, 19 says, An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Jesus said, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. The sixth thing that is an obstacle to friendship, and I can't wait till I get the good steps, but we got to acknowledge the stuff that's in the way, is a lack of a model for how to build good relationships. You know, in a dysfunctional culture like we're in, I can imagine kids growing up today and all they see is adults talking like we talk on social media. Talk about people behind the back. Talk about all kinds of groups of people as if they weren't in the room. What are kids picking up on how to deal with their own friendships? What are they learning from our generation? It's scary, isn't it? And I, you might think today, well, I don't know how to build friendships. I didn't learn it from my parents. They weren't good at building friendships. I, did, I didn't learn it from other people. Well, that's what the body of Christ is for, friends. Jesus showed it in that first connect group of his disciples. And when he left, they started putting the church together in huddles all over cities throughout the world. And the change happens in the context where you, you learn from other people that are good at things that you're not. And they learn from the things you're good at and they're not. Where you have an ability to be yourself, make mistakes, still be accepted, and love other people. That's where the change begins to happen. When you're in relationship with others, then you find new mentors. Your mentor might be standing 
in front of you during worship. Your mentor might be in the hallway. Your mentor on how to build those friendships could be somewhere in the church. Turn to the person next to you and say, you might be my mentor. <laughs> See, we need to chase the biblical picture for friendship in our lives. The scripture has a lot to say. I'm not going to go through the scriptures, but I'll give you their addresses if you're writing some scriptures down. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 talks about loving those around you and that they'll discover God's love by the way we love each other. Ecclesiastes 4 talks about life is best lived in good company. Colossians 4 talks about relationship and friendship with those outside the faith. Matthew 11, Jesus is called a friend of sinners. Proverbs 27 says, iron sharpens iron. John 15, as we started today off with, Jesus calls us his friends. So if we're going to chase him, then let me give you six keys to make room for biblical friendship. I told you the six obstacles. Now let me give you six keys to take a step towards biblical friendship. The first one is this. Choose people who help you spiritually. Choose people who help you spiritually. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Hey, by the way, this week, read through as many of the Proverbs as you possibly can before you go on Facebook or Twitter And read how many times it talks about getting into a conversation with a fool and what that does to you. And discover it's just better to go with the wise. Go with the people who are full of wisdom. You need to make room for at least one spiritual friendship. I'm talking to people of every age group because I know this. Something happens to people as they age. We kind of settle in. We have the same friends. We act the same way, and we don't really, we're not really growing, okay? So I want to challenge old and young alike. You have to have a spiritual friendship that helps you grow. You have to have that. That's why I talk about Redwood Faith all the time on, on Sundays here at the church. It's important to me that you develop a spiritual friendship. Why? Because it's a part of how Jesus wants you to grow. And you have to choose them to make room them. You show me your friends, I will show you your future. Whoever you're hanging with is a part of what you're going to become. Second key is this. Move from a transactional to a relational approach to your relationships. A transactional approach is saying, I'm only friends with this person because of what they give me. The only time I call them is when I want something from them. It's a transactional approach. Okay? A relational approach is calling not to ask for something, but to hear their story, to be with them, just to be with, to enjoy their companionship. It's a clear contrast between a transactional approach and a relational approach. Proverbs 11.25, Jody read it earlier, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. There is something about Moving towards that relational approach where you want the best for somebody else, not for what you can get out of them. I want to be a life giver, not a life sucker. Hello. 
I want to be able to give life to the people around me, not be one that sucks the life out of them. And that means that you need to approach love from different ways. When I was a youth pastor, I uh, did uh, abstinence education, health education classes at Columbia Heights High School. And uh, one of the things the teacher would bring me in to do is just to talk about abstinence. She called it postponement, waiting for sex until you were married. Postponement means you're going to have sex. It's okay to talk about sex, but it means wait for marriage. The biblical way is the way we believe it. But I couldn't use biblical terms when I go in front of the class. And by the way, when I get done with my talk with the classes, it was sad because there were 10th grade classes. How many kids, young ladies and young men would come up to me and say, why didn't you talk to me about this in 6th grade? Before all the pain happened. Before I went in thinking that I was in love with somebody, and now I feel ripped apart and in pieces. And one of the things that I did is I, I shared the, the biblical definition, but I didn't use the words Bible in it, for the three types of love in the Bible that you will see, the three types of Greek love, if you will. And, uh, and, and I would go to the board, and I would just write them out, and I would talk about the differences. The first one was phileo. Everybody said phileo. Okay, phileo is brotherly love. That's why we get the city of Philadelphia, which is the city of, right? And that's a, hey, we're in this thing together. We might fight like cats and dogs, but blood is thicker than water. You know, that kind of relationship. That's phileo, okay? So the Bible talks about brotherly love, taking care of one another, being nice and all that. But then there's another word, and that is the word eros, okay? Eros is a love that is completely transactional. It's a love that I love you for what you can make me feel like. So you can imagine in the 10th grade health class I was talking about, when that guy says I love you, but he really means I want to be in bed with you, he's wanting to use you for his own benefit. In fact, when the Greek writers would write it out in the text, they would write out eros in Greek, and one of the letters would have a little hook in it, and it's love with a hook. How many of you have had people in your life that had love with a hook? And it's not the kind of friendship that you want, right? It's not the kind of relationships that you want to build. So the Bible talks about the best type of love is agape love. Agape love is God's love. God is love, okay? Agape love is unconditional. It means I love you and I give you love and I expect nothing in return. The best kind of love, the love that you want in a marriage, the love you want between parents and their children, the love you want from friend to friend is agape love, but it will cost you something. Because sometimes when you love people with unconditional love, they hurt you. But agape love says even if you hurt me, I am still going to love you. I'm going to care for you. Now, I might have to put up boundaries if you're using me. I know those that have loved ones that are caught into addiction and those type of things. You have to learn when you love somebody, you have to draw boundaries because they'll keep using you. But it doesn't mean you don't love them because you drew a boundary. It means you're continuing to love them so much that you're hoping that they'll turn their life around. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? So if you want to step into Jesus' type of love, then you've got to move from a transactional to a relational approach. 
I'll read Proverbs 11:25 again. The generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Listen, the third thing is this. Adjust your expectations. Adjust your expectations. Our founding pastor here at the church used to say, lower your expectations, you'll be disappointed less often. But I think that we have to adjust our expectations in a relationship as it goes along. You know, life changes things. I remember I had buddies when I played when I was single and I played basketball and we hung out and then Jody came into my life and she loved me and when we got married, she wanted more of my time. How many know she deserved more of my time? My buddies were like, come on, man, you've lost it. Now you're married, you've lost it. You know, you can't hang out with the bros anymore. They needed to adjust their expectations of me because now there was somebody more important in my life that I need to give my best time to. And by the way, if you have people outside of your marriage, if you're married, putting pressure on you and it's affecting your marriage, you need to shut them down or you need to say, hey, adjust your expectations. Check yourself. You want a friendship, you need to adjust your expectations. Well, when people go through different changes in life, new jobs, how many know when kids come into the picture, life changes? We had one kid, two kids, three kids. By the time we hit three kids and then four kids, nobody invited us to their house anymore. It was too crazy. There's changes that happen. Friendships need to be uh, flexible. Understand what other people are going through. Don't have so high expectations of somebody that it's all about your needs, and when they don't meet your needs, you don't like them anymore. That's going back into transactional mode. Let them breathe. Allow them to express themselves. And to, by the way, at times when people have to go into a new season of life and the friendship doesn't have any frequency anymore, let them go and, and let them uh, not feel any guilt for moving on, and you might get them back. How many of you have ever had friends that came back into your life? And the rhythm of life when you believe in each other and you release each other, man, it's beautiful because then it's deeper and longer term in the friendship. Just your expectations. A counselor that I know says that we need to learn to listen in a relationship, in a friendship, and hear how deep people want to go. Sometimes we want to go deeper than they're ready for. And maybe we need to back up a little bit, pump the brakes, back up, and allow the relationship to be where they're ready to go. If they're not ready to go there, they're not ready to go there. Ephesians 4, 2 says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because you love. Number four, and I will go faster through the next three to give you hope. Be vulnerable with a few and authentic with everyone. Be vulnerable with a few and authentic with everyone. Sometimes I think that, that we get caught into a lie that we have to drop our guard all the way with everybody in order to be a friend of theirs. And that's simply not the truth. We need to have a smaller circle that we drop our guard with, people we can trust that aren't going to talk and share that information. But we can still have friendships with other people at different levels that we don't drop our, we don't worry and we don't, Spill our guts to everybody. Be vulnerable with a few and authentic with everyone. 
By the way, that just means practicing good boundaries sometimes. You know, I think that sometimes in Minnesota we're afraid and we're uh, passive aggressive with how we approach this. But I just want to encourage a church biblical way of doing things, actually saying what you're thinking. When somebody texts you three times and four times that wants you to go to something and you're like, I don't want to go. They're harassing me. Instead of ignoring them, why don't you just say, you know what, I really don't want to go. Can you not ask me for a little while? I might want to go again, but don't keep asking me. You mean say what you're actually thinking, Pastor Nate? Yeah, the opposite is worse. To ignore somebody is worse. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't ignore me. (laughs) Fifth, I release you to not be passive-aggressive. Fifth, take the first step. In good friendships, it requires sometimes taking the risk the test, if you will. Hey, do you want to go to lunch after church? No, I'm busy. Okay. Don't take that as a rejection because they didn't want to go that day. Ask again. Take the first step. Try again after the first no. And then maybe begin with safe experiences. Don't go, you know what? Hey, can we get together on Tuesday night? I want to do a deliverance session. How many know that's probably not the best way to build a friendship, right? We're going to cast devils out. You know, it's going to be a lot of fun. See you Tuesday, 7 o'clock. Why don't you start with Starbucks or want to watch the game with me, (laughs) you know? Sixth, told you I would move a little faster. Always make room for people away from God. Always make room for people away from God. This is a really important thing. And I found it to be difficult for those that grow up in the church or those that are in this tension. How do I have friends who don't know Jesus and still be Christian when they don't do things I want them to do? And this is the answer. If you have Redwood faith, if you have spiritual friendships, that gives you a security to go back to when you go out and have friendships with those who are not yet followers of Jesus. And it's important for you and I to retain those kind of friendships or we lose our sense of grace in our own life, we become bitter religious people who don't win people to Jesus like he's called us to do on mission. And Jesus was called the friend of sinners. Jesus built friends. He went and had dinner with people. You know, some of us are like, man, I can't go into that restaurant because they drink alcohol there. I get it if you are coming off in an addiction to alcohol and, you, and all of that. I get some of those boundaries. But friends, you don't have to drink what they drink in order to have lunch and dinner with them. And by the way, you're not going to keep falling in and becoming like them if you have a connect group and you have relationships. Today we're distributing con- communion. And uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, feel free to... Go ahead and receive the communion. You don't have to be a member of our church, but as the cups go around, I want to encourage you just to take it. We'll receive together in just a moment. I want to encourage you to continue to pray for people who are away from Jesus. We've had a tradition here at Emmanuel of praying for five friends, always having a list of five people in your life that you're praying for that need to know Jesus. And can I encourage you to keep praying, keep believing, And keep asking God to move in their life. 
And uh, it's amazing to me when people have been praying for somebody, when they do come to faith in Jesus, how it lights up your own faith journey. Isn't that true? So I'll, I'll retrace my steps here. Six keys to make room for biblical friendship. Choose people who help you spiritually. Number two, move from a transactional to a relational approach. Three, adjust your expectations. Four, be vulnerable with a few and authentic with everyone. Five, take the first step. And six, always make room for people who are away from God. Jesus spent all of this time with his disciples and then in John 15, he then says, now go love people. In another place on the last night, we, we now call the goods or the last supper or communion, he gathered together with his friends. Now I want you to think about this. It wasn't a formal gathering. Some of you have seen the Leonardo da Vinci painting or whatever uh, that has, shows all the disciples like they're doing a, a group photo for Instagram or something on one side of the table. This is not what it was. They were facing each other. They were hanging out just as they had for the last three years. They were buddies. They were friends. And Jesus is about to leave and he says, you know, I want you to do this. And he took the bread and he broke the bread and, and he said, I, I want you to do this. And he took the cup and, and he showed the cup and he talked about what it was. But here's what Jesus was saying. See, for three years, Everywhere they went, they had a confidence because Jesus was in the group. They were in Jesus' band. And Jesus was going to die and be resurrected and ascend into heaven. And what he wanted them to know is, listen, when the band gets back together, I want you to know I still can show up. I can show up when you gather together and you meet together and you do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to be there with you. In other places of the scripture, Jesus said, wherever two or three gather together in my name, I am there. How many want Jesus to still be in your huddle? You want him to be in your story. Well, listen, you are not going to experience Jesus in his fullness alone. He likes to show up when we are gathered together with our friends. We need each other. We need each other.